millennials are concerned about what have I accomplished? What have I contributed? How have my contributions impacted the company or the other people around me? Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Welcome back to the Inspiring Leaders podcast. I'm Terry Lepovsky. Thanks for joining us today. For this episode, we're talking about millennial leaders. We're going to examine some common beliefs and misconceptions about millennials in the workplace, and we're going to find out what makes them tick. My guest today is Megan Reed, a Toronto-based psychologist. Megan focuses her practice on helping people with their careers and personal planning. As I'm sure you can imagine, this means that Megan deals with a lot of millennials that are negotiating their own careers. Well, if that doesn't provide her with enough perspective of what makes millennials tick, maybe I should mention that Megan is a millennial herself. And with credentials like that, we thought that she'd be the perfect guest to help us better understand millennials and how we can lead and inspire them more effectively. Megan Reed, welcome to Inspiring Leaders. Thanks, Terry. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Well, Megan, you and I have chatted before, so you know how this podcast rolls. We always start with the same question. So if you don't mind, what leader has inspired you and why? Well, that is a good question. And I thought about it long and hard. I have a colleague and a boss that I've worked with in the past that was particularly inspiring. But I would say, other than her, there's been a number of leaders. There's not one specific name. Because of all the leaders that I work with and have worked with, I'd say it's traits about leaders rather than the leaders themselves that are inspiring to me. So should I tell you about some of the traits? Yeah, absolutely. This is, Now you've got my interest. <laughs> so I guess the first thing that really stands out to me about an inspiring leader is that they are authentic. When they are real people, they're down to earth. They don't have their head in the clouds, even if they're in a high position of power or leading a huge number of people under them. It's like they get things from the ground up. They still can make small talk with people who are on the front lines or, or in the more entry-level positions of the business. So just that authenticity, but also that they have a vision, that they have a big picture understanding of where they want their career or their company to go in the world. So I think that vision is a big piece as well. And I think it's a combination of also being strategic, but also people-minded. So a really nice combination of being knowledgeable about the future, having the foresight to be strategic with their decision-making, but also not so analytical that they don't care about people. So the numbers and the bottom line, of course, are important, but so are the people and need those people to make the bottom line. So I think when I see a leader that's kind of well-rounded in that way, that's somebody that's really inspiring. I think you just described every leader that I've ever worked for before that I've had a lot of respect for. Very well put answer. I have to say that really covers a lot of ground with people that I think have touched all of our lives as leaders. It's a tricky one, Terry, because I think when you move up the rank, people sometimes get to focus on the money or the bottom line or themselves. That can be a risk. Of course, not everyone. So when people are able to stay authentic, grounded, and care about their team. Yeah, I heard it said before that staying humble and curious are very good traits for leaders. Yes, 
I would agree with those. Now, listen, you're a career and workplace psychologist in Toronto, and I know that you're really busy. You help a lot of people with their career aspirations and, you know, negotiating things that might stand between them and their ideal future. And I know that you work with a lot more than just millennials, but if you don't mind, for today, let's focus in on the millennials. What makes them different, say, from a guy my age? And I won't say how old that is, but how does it play into the professional guidance that you provide them? I'd love to hear your perspectives on this. So I guess one of the first things that I'd say, Terry, is that millennials aren't that different from everyone else. All the generations, of course, have their stereotypes or their niches, but there's also a lot of commonality. I will speak to some of the differences I see or some of the things that I stand out more commonly amongst millennials. Yeah, sure. The first thing I think that comes to mind is that millennials really want to find purpose or meaning in their work. And again, I think lots of people want to find purpose or meaning, but millennials want to find it right away. For them, even in an entry-level role, they want to know how they contribute to the big picture. What's the message of the company or the vision of the company? Do they agree with that company or believe in what that company is promoting or selling? So I think that purpose or meaning is one big factor. I've heard it said that if a millennial can't find your vision and mission and values on your website somewhere, they'll skip the application process and go to the next company. Depends on the millennial, but I would say as a whole group, that is a big one. Yeah. I think another big one that comes out, I think there's a misconception out there among some generations that millennials are lazy, that they don't want to put in the work, that they just want things being fed to them. And I would say that's not the case. I think that can come about if they don't necessarily understand the meaning or the vision or the purpose of their role in the big picture. But I also think it comes down to millennials wanting to be more flexible. And I think that's probably a combination of how we were raised, as well as society and technology. Now we don't have to be in the office nine five with our butts in a seat to do a good job. We can work after hours and lots of millennials are open to doing that, but they want the flexibility and the freedom, you know, if they have to go to an appointment on a Wednesday afternoon to do that and then work a couple hours later that evening. So I think that can be misconstrued for laziness. And I don't think it's lazy at all. It's just a different way of working. And I would say the future of work is going to be and is already more flexible than it has been in the past. You can work from home. You can telework. You can work different hours. So I think that's a difference in millennials. But again, I think it's based on society as well. Well, that's a great observation. And I'm sure that anybody listening in who is a millennial will be saying, absolutely, Megan. I'm glad that you pointed that one out. Mm -hmm. I'd say one other one that comes to mind for me is that I think millennials are really results-oriented. So again, going back to that analogy, it's all about the outcome or the output. So it's not necessarily just about putting in the time. Millennials are concerned about what have I accomplished? What have I contributed? How have my contribution impacted the company or the other people around me? So I think being results-oriented is important and also even plays into the people around you. So for example, me as a leader, I'm not so concerned with everyone's designations and degrees. I'm more concerned about their transferable skills and what they bring to my business, as well as the fit of 
them as an individual, their personality, how they work with other people. So again, it's going to impact the result. It's not just about the letters or the status, that sort of thing. So Megan, if you can, give me an example in general of what kind of work you're doing with people with millennials that will help them with their career. Sure. So I would say one of the most common reasons that someone would come to me is because they're not feeling fulfilled or happy in their career, or they're feeling stuck. And that it is very common for millennials to come to me with that concern. I'd say one of the most common careers that I do come across is teachers. Individuals who have gone into the work world, maybe they've been teaching for about five years, and they're just not happy. They've kind of lost that fulfillment, and they want to make a career change. I have had teachers make all kinds of transitions, and a number of them haven't required going back school because, again, I guess as a millennial leader, and I think other leaders sometimes think this way, it's about the transferable skills. And as a teacher, for example, there are so many transferable skills, the planning, the management of a classroom, creativity to come up with lesson plans, to work within a system that can be quite political, just like a corporate structure would be, to still have leadership or guidance from a principal, which can be seen as a boss. So there's all these elements that can mirror the corporate world, even though a teacher would never be considered someone who works in a corporate structure. That's an example, I guess, of common clients that would come through my door. Now, that's interesting to me in particular, because a teacher is somebody who's gone to school for a lot of years to get into their profession. And after all of those years in school, they sit down and they're in front of a classroom and they discover that, well, maybe there's some elements of this job that are not so much for me. I'm starting to wonder now, is it mostly teachers or do you find other professionals, like perhaps people in the healthcare profession or uh, the legal professions, anything of that nature? So I would say the clients that come to me are often the ones who have really stereotypical jobs that they've heard of and that they would consider to be good jobs. So if I were to give you my top three, it would probably be accountants, engineers, and teachers. As I've moved and expanded the office into Toronto, where I'm located, I'm surrounded by hospitals. So I do have a number of people who do research within the hospitals, as well as as the financial institutions. Those would be common ones as well. I also have people who are in administration or faculty from all of the various post-secondaries in the area as well. So it's really really diverse. But I guess probably because I'm a psychologist and because my services are covered by benefits, my clients are usually people who are working and have a quote-unquote good job. They're just not finding meaning in it. I love how you said that you're helping them by identifying some of their transferable skills. Do you work with them as well on identifying their aptitudes that may lean in certain directions or their interests that may indicate more satisfaction or motivation in a future occupation? Yes. So I myself am someone who's pretty analytical. So to me, career planning is just a puzzle or a problem to solve. And so with my clients, I'll look at their beliefs and messages around career, their skills and their strengths, interests, personality, values and reality factors. So it's really about clarifying all of the criteria about them that will impact how a career fits for them, and then finding occupations that actually align with what they're looking for and what they need and really what's going to get that going. And so I think even when we're speaking about the difference about millennials, if you use me and my 
perspective on career planning, that might be different from somebody in the past who would have said making money is the most important thing or you, you don't need to enjoy your career or enjoy your work. You go there to do your job and then you come home and enjoy your personal time. So for me, I really want people to feel passionate and engaged in the work they do. And so that probably influences the way that I work with my clients. And what kind of experience do you find with your clients after they've worked with you? Do you follow up with them? Do they follow up with you? Where do things go for them? Not every client do I follow up with. Uh, I have lots that follow up with me, and I always tell them that I like when they follow up with me because I would like to know what happens later down the road. So I do have a number of people, once they finish with me, they've made the decision, and then they embark on the process of actually making the transition. And when I do get those emails that they landed their dream job or they've been in this job for so many months and they're so happy, I get really excited about that. I'm a big relationship person. That's something else I think I would say about millennials. Most millennials that I've come across really do care about the people that they work with, whether that's coworkers or clients, in my case, clients. So to hear that they're doing well and continue that long-term relationship is exciting for me, even if they're not coming in because they need my help anymore, just updating me on the transitions they've made. I actually had somebody in my chair yesterday who I hadn't seen for seven months. They'd been in their new role for six months and had come back in. And we were actually able to go through all of that criteria I talked about, the skills, the interests, the personality, and we were able to look at how their new career actually fit with all of those different factors. Now that they're six months in, they had a, a strong enough understanding. They were immersed in the role. They had gotten up to speed. And it was so exciting how happy this person was. But also, just from my analytical point of view, how well it actually fit with her list of what she needed in a career. It's got to be spectacularly rewarding when you end up following up with somebody after the fact, find out you've truly changed their lives. You've uh, made a big difference. You've helped them to perhaps gain a little bit of clarity and focus and find something that's a better fit for them. I would say yes. And to me, I guess another aspect of being a millennial is authenticity. And in the business I'm in of career planning, career transitions, to me, it's very important that I have a good fit with my career and the people that work for me and with me have a great fit in their careers as well. So I love my job. It's so exciting. Like I said, I love the relationships. I love being able to help people. But I also don't personally have to get involved in the nitty gritty details. I just get to oversee and guide and really take them on the path without getting into the details. So that's the most exciting thing for me is seeing the transition without having to get down into the nitty gritty myself. Well, that's a great segue because I'd like to end off with a couple of questions for you. First, what challenges do you see facing many of today's leaders? I would say one of the biggest roadblocks or challenges that I see is Again, going back to the assumptions that people have about millennials. So when a millennial comes into the workforce and a leader may automatically assume they're lazy, they're going to want time off, they want to move up the ladder too quickly and that's not the way it works here. That to me is probably the biggest roadblock because I think really in an ideal work setting, millennials as well as other people really like good communication. They want to have a clear understanding of their purpose, like I said. And so if a leader can really articulate that and look for ideas from that individual or their feedback, 
millennials are going to have a great fit in that career. But it's, it's that back and forth as opposed to just top-down leadership. So I think it's rethinking some of the traditional ways or, or more old-school ways of leading. It's not so much just about project management and getting the job done. It's also taking people into consideration. Well, that's the kind of perspective that I think is going to really add value to everybody listening. Here's a really tough question for you to finish off. What does inspired leadership mean to you, Megan? I think inspired leadership is leadership where the individual who's doing the leader leading is inspired themselves. They're passionate, they're excited, they're engaged every day, and they're able to transmit that excitement and engagement to the people that work with them and for them. So everyone is inspired to kind of pursue and push toward that vision of that leader. Not everyone is necessarily strong or skilled in coming up with a vision, but there's lots of people who love to be able to execute the vision and get on board with that vision. So if a leader can bring someone or bring a group of people on board, that to me is inspired leadership. So when their heart is in it, it creates momentum for the rest of the team. I would say so. I think it's not just, there are people who are very inspired and excited about what they do. But if they're not able to transmit that excitement, then that comes through communication, then I think they miss the mark. So again, it goes back to what I said at the beginning. They have to have that strategic sense, but they also have to have the interpersonal skills and the people skills and actually care about the success and the engagement of the people below them. I think another key aspect that is really important for inspired leadership is that the leader isn't necessarily threatened by other skill sets. So I think that intuitive ability to understand the strengths of other people around them and how those strengths can be put to use in a way that supports their vision is also really important. It's not about keeping people down and staying on top. It's about growing those people as well. So that would be another element. Wow, that's very valuable insight and perspective. Thank you very much. Now, listen, I don't want you to go away without first mentioning that I know that you're also the host of a radio show on Bold Radio called Career Cravings. I'm sure people are going to want to hear this, so I want to mention that I will put links to this in the show notes, but let us know a little bit about what Career Cravings is all about, and also, if you don't mind, how people can find you online. Sure. So the show itself can be found on the Bold Radio website or after finish with the shows, we actually turn them into podcasts and they can be found on the Canada Career Counseling website and that's canadacareercounseling.com. So those are both places people can find it. It's a show uh, really that takes a couple different formats, but primarily what we're doing is really digging into the career cravings of our guests. Most episodes, we have a guest, and they come from all different walks of life, all different fields. Some of them are really regular, ordinary people. Other ones are uber successful and have really unique attributes. But it's really about hearing the richness of their career so that the people listening can learn about that career itself and also the motivations of the person that's telling their story. Well, that sounds very compelling, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to check that out. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much for being part of Inspiring Leaders today. I, for one, have really enjoyed hearing your perspective and also some of the advice that you've given us as well. I think it was excellent, and I really do want to thank you for being part. Well, thank you so much for letting me join. I always like to give my opinion. 
Thanks again for being part of our quest to make inspired leadership ubiquitous. Wherever you are, we hope that we've helped to inspire you and that you'll pay it forward by inspiring others. And just a reminder to support us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud with your ratings and comments. That support is hugely appreciated. Until next time, take care, everyone. Thank you.